Welcome, friends, to another week of the podcast, and can't thank you all enough for the continued support that we've been given. And for those of you that have been listening, understand the purpose of this podcast is to bring as much information as possible from our guest in regard to social media, marketing systems, and how to build a better business, whether you're in design, construction, real estate, or any field for that matter. And all of our guests have brought such value uh, and great information that each of us can apply. And today we brought on Joe Edwards, who owns Elite Concepts USA, which is a design build company out of New Jersey. And we dove into a little bit about Joe's business and understanding the importance of patient and hard work to build that business. But one of the main reasons we brought Joe on for this episode is really to spend some time uh, in regard to the current climate with racism. And Joe offers some unique perspective on his life experience as he and his wife, you know, with five children, and how we can all be more empathetic and more understanding and not just speak about racism, but also make an effort to understand it and to be empathetic and to open our circles and how we can address that head on and come up with solutions about how we can create more equality in this country. You know, we're fortunate to live here with great freedoms and experiences and, you know, it's up to us to make it even better, you know, with those around us. So can't thank Joe enough for willing to come on and speak openly about racism and I know that you'll really enjoy this episode. And want to take a minute to thank our great sponsor, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove Showroom Southwest. Super grateful for their support to make this show possible for all of you listening. So if you're starting a new kitchen project, the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove Showroom is the place to start. It provides an immersive environment to help you realize the possibilities of your future kitchen. Discover what it may feel like, look like, taste like, all in an exploratory, no-pressure showroom. No matter who you are, consumer, owner, or member of the trade community, the showroom is ready to assist you throughout your entire project. I visit the Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom in North Scottsdale quite often. It is just a few blocks from my office, so it's the perfect place to meet my clients and the designer on the project. When we arrive, we meet with the showroom consultant whose sole focus is catering the visit to our needs. They seek to understand what products may be best suited for the client and then explain and demonstrate special features and functionality. We can browse the complete line of Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove appliances and then view them in beautifully designed vignettes, helping my clients envision how the appliances might look in their home. The best part is our consumers can interact with the products, turn the knobs, open the drawers, and ignite the flames, discovering the best fit for them. With the help of the showroom consultant, each visit is truly unique to the client. The relationship with the showroom does not end with the appliance selection process. Throughout the entire project, the showroom team is there to provide helpful solutions and offer advice and assistance. After appliances are installed, owners can expect a lifetime of support and helpful resources. The Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom is the place to start, experience, and bring your vision to life. Schedule an appointment at your nearest showroom by visiting www.subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom. So welcome to the AOT Construction Podcast. I'm Brad Levitt, and today I'm super honored to have Joe Edwards on with us. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Brad. How you doing, buddy? So Joe and I have been super good friends uh, for, what, four years now through social media. You know, I met you for the first time in person, I think, three years ago in Orlando at the National Builder Show. Right, right. I mean, you are a Giants fan, so I'm going to have to let that pass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but in all sincerity, Joe and I um, have had a lot of conversations behind the scenes. And 
with the climate of everything that's happening, um, especially with Black Lives Matter and racism, you know, Joe and I want to do a special episode dedicated just to this topic. And the whole intent of this, you know, a lot of times in my circles, and I'm going to be really blunt and direct about things from my perspective. Um, and Joe and I have talked about this. So you hear the comment is, why is it always about racism? Why is it always about race? You know, the race card, you hear these terms flung around. And the problem is there's a lack of education, right? There's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of empathy. Okay. So what's empathy? It's, it's the ability to understand the feelings of others. Um, my wife and I just watched a movie I was talking to Joe about called Just Mercy. For those of you that haven't seen it, Warner Brothers put it on for free on Amazon Prime. If nothing else from the episode, go watch it. Just see for yourself firsthand little things we can do to change. And one of my favorite quotes from that movie, it said, we can't change the world with only ideas in our minds. We need conviction in our hearts. And what I think is important, Joe, and I'm going to turn some time over to you, and we're going to, you know, this is an organic conversation. We don't have pre-planned topics or conversations for our listeners. But what's really important is I feel that I feel really strongly that those that have platforms and I don't care the color of your skin, but especially those that have platforms such as myself, we need to use those for good. And this is our time to do so. So Joe, we were talking a little bit before we started, you know, about the race card, right? Do you hear this topic? Hey, why is it about race? But talk to me about that. You, I mean, you talked about just your upbringing in your family. You know, why is that so prevalent, you know, in your life history? I mean, well, for and, and obviously us as people of color, black, brown, uh, minority descent, it's not a monolith. So I'm not speaking for everyone's experience here. I'm speaking for, you know, my personal experience and obviously uh, a lot of my relatives and things of that nature, just shared experiences. I mean, for us, it's about race because when we, when I walk around, it's evident, you know, that I'm a, I'm a black man and how I'm treated is a cause and effect. Like they don't know my background, how I'm contributing to society, you know, uh, whether I own businesses or um, I'm an upstanding citizen, they just know what we've sort of been falsely told our whole lives, like between miseducation and, you know, the news narrative of the day, you know, what, what evil black guy did what, you know, every time there's a, a photo flashed on television of someone doing the criminal act, it's someone who happens to look like me, I happen to have dreads, there's a, there's a, there's a stereotype to that. So if you have dreads, it's, you know, you're not intelligent, you're not this, you're not that, you know, um, you know, you can go on and on and on and on and on for, for days about, you know, the, the stereotypes that we're sort of subjected to and then just the norms within this country. Now, when I say this country, just so everybody understands, like I was born here, right? <laughs> I've, my family has been here for probably almost 10 generations. So, I mean, it's not like I'm new to this country. I didn't I didn't immigrate here. I'm not a second or third generation. Grateful to be here in America. I have nowhere else to go. This is <laughs> this, this is all this is all I know. There's no other country I can escape to. And with that said, I will, you know, as I'm speaking, don't take it as America's not a great country because you could have an issue with how you're being treated somewhere and still 
want to be there opposed to somewhere else, but that doesn't make, you know, how you're being treated okay. Well, let me let me just play off that a little bit, Joe. So so one of the things that you're going to we're going to speak about is this just a, isn't a discussion, right? This is going to be an education and we want everyone to listen to this entire episode because we have solutions, right? This isn't just, hey, let's talk about it. Where do we go from here? Like when Colin Kaepernick was kneeling down, right? We, we have solutions. But to your point, here's what's interesting. And, you know, my whole intent is just to bring light to some things. I, I remember when uh, going back to football. You and I are both football fans. I'm a big sports right. fan, as you know. The Seahawks were playing the 49ers, right? And it was the end of the game. They threw a ball to Michael Crabtree, and Richard Sherman was there, if you remember. He knocked it down, knocked, and he got in the camera's down. face, like, don't yeah. come at me, you know? And he's like, hey, like, there's this bravado, right? And this confidence. And I heard someone say the term thug, and it really bothered oh. me. And and, oh. and Joe, and, and here's why it bothered me. Um, the, the thing is, like, Look at Richard Sherman, okay? He comes from Compton. He's Stanford-educated, until you know, incredibly bright. But we use terms based on because maybe he's boisterous or, as you said, the dreads in your hair. And this is where we as a society need to use, be more sensitive, uh, not be so tone-deaf about how we communicate these things, right? Because it, it, it's easy to fall in this pit without understanding who is Richard Sherman. This is a very well-spoken gentleman who's extremely intelligent, who's extremely educated, who's very talented, right? On the football field as well. The problem is, is that like, you know, and you, it's unfortunate. We all, there's implicit bias. Like, you know, you're, you're taught things just within your comfort space of like the, the, the word thug, right? We, we co-op words in our our way of life today we call it the word thug now is a trope like you know what i mean it's it's almost as if i if i call him a thug they would call richard sherman a thug but if like say brian Bo brian bosworth was standing there right say, you know saying the same thing he's not a thug if if uh let's say if jay-z sold drugs to get to his billion billionaire status he's a thug but the Rockefellers could do the same exact thing or the owners of Oxycontin just poison half of America. And he's an incredible businessman. It, these are these are things that are just narrative driven things that are unconsciously embedded in society. And, and ultimately, as a black man, the way I see it is it's it's all it's all divine design for control. It's like you need to be able to push people's buttons to create wedges and to sort of systematically control groups of people. So if they can pit me against you, we could be best of friends, play basketball, eat bre breakfast and dinner together and break bread with one another. But if there's something, whether it be religion, ethnicity, that could separate us, you know, with a, a utter of a word or a, a happenstance, like, you know, like a, a gentleman being killed on the street, to, to have things boil over, they want those things embedded in, in our society. But I feel as though, like, you know what? Richard Sermon is no different than anyone else. All right. Like, don't, don't judge anybody pr prior to it. And let's just say, for example, like, you know, the reverse of that is, okay, a gentleman like Richard Sermon, he should be grateful because he makes millions of dollars. Like, what? Right. Like, was it, like, why should he be grateful that he's talented at something? Right. Like, like who who are you to bestow him, you know, 
the the grace of of being grateful that he has the opportunity to make money as if you did something for that. Like, no, you didn't do anything. You didn't put into hard work. You didn't see what he had to sacrifice to get to where he has arisen to. So don't make don't make a judgment on that. And I feel as though like with within our community, that's how we're looked upon. So if I happen to make it out, right, I'm still judged. I'm still you're different, Joe. I'm like, why am I different? So, so talk to me about that. I mean, you, you mentioned that someone says, you know, they meet you and they're like, Joe, you're down to earth. You know, you own your own company. You know, you're different. You know, so just that alone, you know, someone um, from a different color who's saying that may say, hey, Joe, you're different without even mentally thinking, even being conscious of what they're wording, you know, how that may impact you or may trigger something like what what does that mean? Why we're all humans, right? We're all brothers yeah. and sisters. So why? Why am I different? Well, what it, for me, because obviously I've been walking in my skin and who I am my whole life, what I realized is that the narrative is so baked in that it's just not expected. It's not expected. Like in their in their bubble of their world, they never they never experience someone who looks like me who's an owner of something. And then unconsciously but consciously they say to themselves like well okay well you may own something but do i respect what you own but then they have to realize when they can see they see the level of what i produce and the level of clientele that i work for then it settles in where it's like wait wait a second well i can't minimize what he's doing because i'm not doing that or i'm trying to do that or like well how is he doing that like you know tell me what the excuse is like you know, you come from something that was handed to no, no, like no, uh, that's not the case. So when you start to like chop those, once again, I'm gonna keep using the word stereotypes down. You know what I mean? Whether they're known stereotypes that you know, or just things that you've learned and you don't even realize unconsciously that you know you possess. But the reality is, is like I'm no different than Richard Sherman. I'm no different than George Floyd. I mean, people talk about his past, but we all have a past. Absolutely. And, and I would say anyone has a past. And, and, and going back to that, and um, we're going to make this, you know, as I said, this podcast, we're, we're not going down these rabbit holes of politics here. But what's important, as you mentioned, is that it doesn't matter if there's a history that he had, whatever it may be, the fact that matters what happened was completely wrong. And it doesn't matter. 100%. And it should never have happened. No. And, no. And, and I love that you said how bait thin the narrative is. Because the problem is that there's a sensitivity, whether it be religion, whether it be politics, whether it be ethnicity, that you talked about. And what was interesting, a good friend of mine, um, his name's Dondi. I actually had him on my podcast, right? And he's he's served in the military. And and what we need to understand, I think, as people, is my reality, you know, as a male, a white male, I grew up in a home with a mother and father. My reality, my culture is different than someone who grew up in South America or Europe or maybe someone of color. And and there has to be some understanding that we grew up and come from different circumstances, different neighborhoods, blue collar, white collar. And there has to be some understanding because unless we have that empathy and understanding, we can't relate to say, you know what, Joe, you make a good, I've never thought of it that way. You know, here I am in my bubble, but I need to understand it your way because that's the only way we can get talking and work through this stuff. I agree. I agree. And that's why like when, 
when this whole thing happened and I started with just the whole dialogue thing and then obviously you and I both run business pages and you know and I'm sure it was it, when I sent you your the message I sent you in terms of like you know saying that you were courageous for posting it because we we, we can't ignore whether it's you or me we're you're putting yourself out there where we're going to be judged mm-hmm whether we like it or not, we're going to be judged because the same thing is like sit down, shut up and play football. Joe, shut up. Just just show, keep inspiring us, showing us beautiful projects and teaching us ways to do things and, and, you know, keep your positive attitude. Don't talk about things that make me feel uncomfortable. So I took it upon myself to say, like, listen, I had to build my business with the narrative of let me stay in the shadows let me allow my talent to be in the forefront. So when you engage me in person, you can look past the fact of how I look because you got referred to me by someone. This guy's amazing. This is what he could do. Da, da, da. And that person didn't say he was black. They didn't say, oh, he's, he's black. So then you experience me and then you understand that I'm very capable about what I'm, what I'm doing. And then we could have a relationship. So with that, I, I kept my family secret. I kept all of that secret because I felt as though like, OK, in the world that we live in and then to put it in perspective, you know, I've run this business since I was 23 years old and I've probably worked for not even two handfuls of people who look like me. Now, as a as a black man, I'm saying to myself, like. That's crazy. I used to I used to be critical on myself because I'm saying like, you know, you know, it's almost like it's my mission. I should be I should be forcing people to understand like, okay, this is what you need to do. This is like, you know, to get on my soapbox only to realize that, you know what, for me to do that, I need to do right business. I need to be able to do business at a very high level. And if at that high level right now, I have to just I have to do business with people that don't look at me then at least I can inspire the individuals who, who say maybe can't afford me or what we offer. I can show them like, listen, put yourself in a position to do the same thing. I can inspire them to say, listen, it's not that I don't want to work for you right now. I just went through everything like I would do with any other client and you don't have enough money to do. But let me tell you how you can get more money. Let me tell you how you can you know, position yourself to do that. And it's not hard. Here's, here's the little things that you could do. So I made that my mission opposed to beating myself up about what I couldn't do. Because I realized like that I can't control who my clients are. Like, I mean, I can control that to a degree. But I mean, in terms of ethnicities, I can't control that. When I get a referral or a person is tapping into how I'm marketing to them, that, that that's the individual on the other side. And there's no way for me to control that portion of it. However, everything I do on my side, I can control. So... I had to stop beating myself up and then and take on the cause. And this is sort of a like inside thing like amongst us. And we kind of touched on this when we talked earlier on our conversation, how, you know, black people, we see each other. We have to show and acknowledge one another. Well, let me let me get some context. That. Is that OK? Sure. So. What's interesting, so uh, for those of you that had followed me on social media, I had posted a little seven-minute video based on just understanding, right? Whether it be 
black, white, male, female. We all have different mindsets and experiences, and we need to speak about these. And I gave the analogy to Joe. We were speaking, and I said, Joe, I'm a, I'm a very visual person. So after high school, I, I lived for two years in Argentina and South America. Really changed a lot about my perspective about life and the world in general, right? I saw racism between Argentines and Bolivians and Peruvians, right? And I said, oh, you know, similar things I had seen between um, Hispanics and Americans and blacks right here in the U.S., right? This is a this is a culture issue throughout the world. Um, even more so, I remember being in Argentina, and here I am. I'm speaking a different language. I'm, you know, they're not and, – and when I'd see an American, you know, sometimes there'd be an executive from Walmart or someone down there as they're opening a new Walmart in Argentina. There's this – you know, I'd go see him, and there's this comfort in the sense that, hey – you know what it's like, right? To be from, like we have the same upbringing. So there's this camaraderie, you know? And I remember when I was going to South America, I was challenged by the president that was overseeing me, you know, for the work I was doing. He said, look, a lot of Americans will get together on their day off and they'll go eat at McDonald's, right? Or they'll go eat at an American establishment. But, in, you know, get in the culture, get in there, get to meet, you know, eat the Argentine food, get to meet the Argentine people, speak their language understand them it'll change your love for them it'll change that so fast forward right we talked about i love basketball we were talking about this and i said there's something i know to joe you know um you know sometimes in some of the leagues i play in and some of the pickup gyms that i'm playing in you know let's just say an experience i had six months ago you know there's 12 13 white guys three black guys that play with us it's a good group of guys we've been playing with and i brought one of my black friends he's new to the group I brought white friends before too. So if I bring a white friend, all the white people, they're like, hey, what's up? You know, walks in, nice to meet you, whatever, you move on. I bring my black friend. It was very unique. I stood there and watched, right? And the black basketball players that are there go up and hug them, right? There's an embrace as if they've known each other for 10 years and they've never met before. And it, was, it, it really caught my eye and made me sensitive to and re reminded me of my experience in Argentina that, hey, here you are now, there's a brotherhood that maybe there's this embrace thinking, hey, you know what I'm dealing with, you know what I've dealt with, right? And so speak to that because you and I spoke about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, first I'll say, let's start off before before he entered the room. He got the invite from you. He respects you. Brad, I'm gonna come out. Not having a clue at what he's gonna experience, right? Right, and this is sort totally. of the This is sort of the generational thing you deal with when you're a black man of whatever status you are at, right? You, there's rooms you're going to walk in where you're comfortable. There's rooms you're going to walk in when you're uncomfortable. And then there's the unknown. We're always in the unknown space, meaning that are we going to walk into some, an environment that is just like um, very uncomfortable? And then you got to temper yourself on how you're going to respond. So these are the things you're coaching yourself on before you enter the environment. So when you see someone who looks like you, it takes a level off your shoulders of burden that you say like, whoo, how you doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and within a five second conversation, oh yeah, we play here all the time. Like, okay, all right. So I'm in a safe place. That's basically what we are telling ourselves before we get into basketball, <laughs> before we say hello to Brad. Now, if let's just say, for example, that your, your buddy who you invited walked into that environment and he didn't have those few guys there that that look like him, then he would have been looking for that from you, Brad. 
How do you no, I how do you introduce him to everyone else and what is their response? Like, you know what I mean? And then from that point on, he'll know if he's ever coming back there again <laughs> or if he's even going to stay there to play. I and, love that you said that, and it's you know, crazy. because it, it is crazy. And I think this is important for anyone listening, just to repeat what Joe mentioned, is some of us may not even relate to that in some way. And this goes back to the empathy where I may show up to play at a new gym or I may show up at a networking event or at a business meeting or sit in a boardroom. Right. And I'm not thinking based on my appearance, how am I going to be received? But that's not the case with others. As you mentioned, you know, my friend may be thinking, okay, what environment am I going to? How do I act? How do you know, these are thoughts that are going through his mind just to go play basketball. And that's where we need to get a little bit more uncomfortable with our circles is how are we increasing our circles and going back to the solution thing. Well, even before we get to that, Joe, one thing I'll say, I'm doing a project and I think he'll be okay with me sharing his name. So DJ Humphreys, he's the left tackle for the Arizona Cardinals. Phenomenal guy. Amazing. Um, And he and I were talking, we were talking about um, life and business and sports and he made the comment and he may not even notice that he made this comment, but he was talking about the NFL and he was talking about how um, how he learned, you know, how he can work and really be successful, you know, understanding his role as an offensive lineman, you know, and working. And he said, I got a chance to sit at the table and think about that. Right. Here's a very successful, very educated, intelligent black man, sweetest man you'll ever meet. His, you know, his family's just amazing. We love them to death, my wife and I. And he made that comment. And that's, you know, how many times has a white person thought, oh, I get to sit at the table. Right. How unfair is that? And why are we not more cognizant, more aware of how other people are feeling? You know, this isn't about statistics. This isn't about anything else. But what are we doing to change that narrative? Well, that's where the hard work comes in. And and quite honestly, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like outside of the narrative that there's riots and all this crazy stuff. I'm looking at the younger generation, and I'm and I'm I'm proud. I'm I'm proud of where my kids, the world, if it's if this is a, any snapshot of where we're going, we will be leaps and bounds from say I'm 43. So when my generation was born, my parents were born in 52 and 53. The civil rights movement was in late 50s, early 60s. I was born in 76. And for after that, you still had all of these other issues that that systemically has sort of corrupted our growth as people. And then you fast forward to say like, and and, and I, this is why I, being a big person of hip hop, I'll say like, hip hop changed the game. Hip hop and, and social media changed the game because it allowed culturally for people who say aren't in that element to find a fondness for that element and then get an understanding that, wow, we are very different, but we are very much the same. I may be privileged and come from a lot, but I struggle this way. And the person who's not privileged in that way can understand that and say, well, here's my struggle. And the empathy is there on both sides. Whereas you figure in the 60s, the reason there's so much strife amongst, and I call them the boomers, is because they were direct beneficiaries of the, the things that were put in place. Like my ancestors fought in wars like yours did. 
but they came back to a whole different set of rules. When they were fighting those wars, they were they were the ones really on the front lines. And and let me interrupt you, Joe, and this is really important. And so this is where I think we need to have some in-depth conversation because when the Kaepernick movement happened, right, with the flag, immediately, right, you have a very passionate divide that still continues today where people are saying it's disrespectful to the soldiers and those who served of our country. You know, and, and I'll say clearly for anyone listening, there is a great divide, white and black, with this mentality and other other ethnicities, too. It's not right. Just black people. And what's important to understand is, again, this goes back to our earlier conversation about culture, diversity, upbringing. Our mentality is different. Tony Dungy was on and he said, look, my father served in the military, came back and couldn't get a job as a school teacher in Detroit because he's black. You talked about your heritage, right? So the rules were different. The flag, it's not that you don't love America. It's not that a lot of my peers don't love America, but their understanding is different. And we need to be sensitive to that. And it's not about pointing fingers at each other saying, okay, help me understand why your view of the flag is different. It's not that you disrespect the flag or you don't like the freedoms in America because we all know America is the best place, but we can be better. So help me understand your point of view so that now we can make this better. I, I would I would say first I would I would say step back and listen to the person's why. If a person tells you why they are kneeling, listen to the why. Don't make up your own thing. Don't say it's about the don't make it a, a, an issue that that the person didn't say. Like so, if in, in initially, if you had a, a feeling about of someone doing something that you thought was disrespectful, and then you approached them and you had a conversation and you and the dialogue went as far as that person explained to you, like no, it has nothing to do with that. I'm I'm standing for police brutality and injustice, and you go, oh no no no, that's my beloved flag, right? That's so so at that point in time, you're not even listening to what that person is saying. It's not even important what that person is saying to you. Because whatever they're doing is making you so uncomfortable that it's not about what they said. It's about how you feel and how you feel only. So at that point in time, you're going to have a narrative. Now, unfortunately for Kaepernick, is you have to put the business model behind the action. So you have an individual who is very well paid for what he does, right? In someone else's business doing something. Now, the people who run the business don't like that. They're like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't do that in my business. But the only difference is they don't have a business if they don't have a bunch of Kaepernicks. And that's what they don't want to change. They can't accept that. So they go, wait, we, we, we can't really allow him to do this because we don't want to awaken the 52, 53 men that are on every every organization that I'm a billionaire because of this these guys banging their heads. So I can I can agree with him, but then how does the other 31 owners feel about it? Because it's a collective group. So if the majority of the owners say like, hey, this is bad for business, no different than if it was you and I, Brad. We wouldn't keep an employee or a situation that would we felt is detrimental to the bottom line of our businesses, that would be malpractice. However, when you and I, we're creating a product, the individuals that are working for us are producing the product. 
they aren't the product. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So I think that I think that what gets lost in the whole narrative behind, you know, when you hear even people of color like myself who are really like, listen, slavery happened. Oh, once you get over it. And it's like, wait a second. What tells you I should get over it? I'm taught the Holocaust at nauseum. I'm taught it. It was it was a horrific thing. Do you tell someone who suffered that to get over it? You 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 stand on your laurels and you say, okay, you know what? My 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 grandparents died for this war and that war. Do you say, hey, that was a long time ago? Get over it. So, at least he came back from the war, or he didn't come back from the war. He was buried. He was honored. They were given medals. They were given treasure. That's what happened. No different than the Holocaust. They 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 took down every every racist bigotry thing towards that period of time is is outlawed in Germany. Why? Because you have to give back dignity. You have to respect humanity. And for us being brought here as the product, as the product, of course, if I can. I can not have to pay anybody and I got the most profitable business on earth. Like, you know what I mean? Like I get to control your productivity, never give you a wage for years and years and years and years and years. And then, you know, fast forward through, through time looking like me, it still exists. It just isn't as outward. So, for example, me being being a person of color, I play the game. So people say, oh, well, how are you here? I was like, because I play the game. I was taught to play the game. I was educated from a very young age. You play the game. Don't you got to play by a different set of rules. You got to be better than everybody else. Don't do what they're doing. You can't because you're not going to be forgiven. You're not going to be looked at as, oh, OK, you know what? You're young and dumb and you made a mistake. No, you're a grown man. You're 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 a threat. You're dangerous. So if I'm going to buy a house and I want to buy a house in a neighborhood that don't want people like me, I'm circumventing how I have to buy it. I'm approaching the sale as if if I'm the inspector to look at the house where I got an LLC purchase in it. So I'm not judged. Because if I if I showed my face, then automatically I have to deal with all the stereotypes that come along with it. Oh, this guy's not smart enough to negotiate a deal. He can't really afford this. Bop, 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 bop. So then I subjectively end up losing an opportunity that was well-suited for me, my family, and my generational wealth that I'm trying to create. So I'm, I'm smarter than that. I could put my ego aside, and I'll see you at the end of the transaction. Let me ask you this, Joe. So, so give me your background for those, because one thing we didn't touch upon is what your background is. You know, what is it that your company is? You're the owner of your company. You know, what is the type of work you do? Uh, we're a construction design build firm here in New Jersey. Um, my my background all, all through my educational system, I studied uh, draft and drawing, architecture. Um, I I ventured out of architecture and and um, took a gamble and went into um, like construction management slash design, um, and that sort of took my career and the trajectory that it is today. Um, I worked for a gentleman that did high end way back then, and uh, I learned a tremendous amount working for him. And the the scale of the projects that we worked on were phenomenal. But what was 
best for me was just to understand that I was a commodity. Like he gave me the ability to prove myself. He gave me the ability to prove myself. He didn't say, oh, because you black, because you this, because you that. Him and him, his son and I were the same exact age, but his son didn't have the drive already in him. So he saw that I did and he just let me fly. And with that, it allowed me to just, you know, my personality obviously blended in with that, allowed me to to really dive into the business. We were supposed to do something together that didn't work out. I, I ended up respecting him enough and, and moving from New York, where, where I'm originally from, and moving the business into New Jersey. And I started from nothing. And I did that out of respect, just not to poach from him, because I could have took the easy route. But once again, that's like another black thing. Like we, we, we cherish what someone has done for us. So I wouldn't disrespect him. There's things that he did that I didn't necessarily appreciate, but I respect him giving me the opportunity. Whether he, he knows it or not, it doesn't matter. It's my integrity and the way I was brought up that you always pay homage. So if he gave me that opportunity, karma's a bitch. So if I sit here and I, po I do the thing, the easy thing, I move down the street, yes, all the customers in the business came to me because I was the one who was producing most of the stuff and I was always honest and, and everything else. But I'm not that person. Fast forward, I started here, boots on the ground, not afraid, and I, I, I developed a following by giving my services away for free. It wasn't easy being a young, remember, I was young. I was being a young black male walking up to communities being built that were like McMansions back then. Like, you know what I mean? This is when houses were big at like 3,500, 4,000 square foot. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm approaching builders who obviously don't look like me, <laughs> you, you know, Hey, let, 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 let me, let me, let me tell you what I could do for you. And the one thing I realized is that, you know what, you have to teach yourself before you pay yourself. So I learned very early on that you have to offer, you have to have value. If you offer value to someone and then they experience that value, it's very easy for them to do business with you. So I offered, in the beginning, I was offering my services for free. And I saw that there was a gap between the builders that were just builders and the individuals like myself who could also design, build, manage, and sell. Like the builders didn't want to deal with clients. They didn't want to do that. So I used that as my angle to be able to get into that environment. And then, and then from there, I was the go-to guy. I was the go-to guy because I kept the clients away from them. I had the clients doing more upcharges because I was creating lifestyle from them because that's the environment I came from. And they made more money. In return, they needed me more. And in the process, I was building up respect amongst all, all the subs and everything else because they like, go see Joe for the answer. And by the way, I never charged them for that information. They would just allow me to sell their clients' goods. So that was the trade-off. Fast forward, I, I took it all and put it under one umbrella, and, you know, here I am. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. Well, you pointed out a few good things there. You know, you talked about ad value. That's something we talk about a lot, right? Teach yourself. Uh, you know, there's a few ways to do that. Uh, you know, you could go to college, and you could take out debt, and you could go through schooling to catapult you in your career. Or in your case, you know, you can go put boots on the ground and work your way up, and maybe you charge um, little or no money, 
you know, you do a loss leader, right, as the term in sales, to get you in the neighborhood, to get you in uh, the resume and experience, to get you to that level, then now you can utilize, right? It's investment. And, you know, I've had people say, do I charge um, cost plus? Do I charge GMP? You know, um, hourly, you know, how does this work? And it really depends. I mean, if you can come up with a set fee in the beginning that's minimal, you're going to spend a lot of hours. Your hourly number may not be good, but it gives you that experience, you know, that the client's giving you the opportunity. You're utilizing your own, you know, time for the experience. And then eventually, you know, that time will pay for itself down the road. hundred percent. And I, I'm, I'm the, the, the my cliche saying is it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. It's a oh, marathon, yeah. not a sprint. And yes, it takes a certain level of patience. It takes a certain level of character to understand that like your purpose might not be for you. It might not be for you. Like all of what you're doing, you may not be the the full beneficiary of it. But if you're if you're gonna have kids and you're gonna have a legacy, they will be the beneficiary of it. So just take your time. So like for me, if within the black community, I always say, like, listen, what were you doing five years ago? What did five years ago look like? So if you if you could look back five years ago and say, if you would have did this five years ago, how would that be today? And it wouldn't have taken much out of your life to do that. But this is where you would be. And unfortunately, I understand the community It's because of poverty and the system itself is that instant gratification gives you a false sense of pride. You know what I mean? Like, you know, people wear fancy clothes and they want to drive fancy cars. And all this consumerism is is basically just a deflection. You're hiding from the the reality of your real ex, real life experience. You know what I mean? Because, you know, like once you get to a place where you can do what you want, you don't need that stuff. You You will indulge in it when you feel like it, but it's not a necessity. You know, it's not a necessity. Well, I love that you shared that, the marathon, not the sprint. And five years ago, what an easy way to say five years ago is where would you be if you invested that time? It's funny. I had a friend of mine and uh, in the recession. So this is 10 years ago now, right? He was in his early 30s, probably 33, and had worked in um, a, a field that I won't disclose. But it just, you know, he had a family. It wasn't um, the best. And so he decided, I'm going to go back to school at 33 to be a nurse uh, anesthetist, right? Um, not an anesthesiologist, but it's the nurse anesthetist. And so here you are at 33, and he, his mindset, he said, look, Brad, I can go back to school. It's going to take maybe six, seven years, you know, get my education. I come out at 40, but I still have 25 years of my career, right? I'm, Ooh, <laughs> I mean, it. yeah, and the thing is, I mean, we could think about this, oh, I'm too old. You know, I can't restart. Well, hold on, you know, here to this, he's going back to hit a reset button on his career because at 40, which is our age, right? That he's going to now have 25 years of his career. And and so much of this self-gratification, I mean, the one thing that's bad about social media, and we're going to bring this back to the, the the racism we want to talk about, is that it is a marathon. It's going to take time, you know? Like, it takes time to build your business. You know, people look at us and say, oh, it's amazing. And I'm like, hey, you didn't see all the years put on before social media was here that we were grinding and grinding right. and doing a little bathroom and doing a little job and not making money, you know, to where we can catapult our experience and our you know, value, as you mentioned. Um, and it, it, it is the same thing, you know, as we're looking at race relations, right? 1969 or 67, I think, interracial marriage was allowed. You know, this isn't that long ago. You look at 
the movie I talked about, Just Mercy. I mean, this is 1993 in Alabama. Like, we, we need to get there faster. We need to have the conversations. And it's funny, we were talking about solutions, you and I. And I've seen the one thing I really am loving about this is that we could all have ideas in our head, as I mentioned at the beginning, but where's the conviction in our hearts? Where's the change going to come from? You know, and I think that's where a lot of people are looking. How can we change? And I think there's some simple steps I've seen um, all across the board, especially in Arizona. I've seen companies, you know, hiring people of color immediately, right, in executive positions, promoting them. I've seen stores say, you know, we're dedicating half of our store, a quarter of our store um, to products that are owned by black business owners. My wife posted a thing on restaurants in town that are black business owners. We're going to go eat there, right? It's these little things where it doesn't, you know, why aren't we opening our eyes to say, why aren't we hiring more? Why aren't we training more? Why aren't we um, increasing our circles? And so these little things are actions, you know, the government could put out here affirmative action, you know, which is great. It starts the ball, right, to have people have other opportunities for college and everything else. But we need to take a step further. Us as citizens can do more. And business owners like you and I, where we have the platform, how can we utilize it? How can we talk about it? How can people that maybe respect us in some way, how can we now maybe open their eyes to things that they maybe were not seeing before? But see, on a two-part fold, I would say I agree with you 100%. Like this this, this whole thing now, it, it, it has... It has transformed from a tragedy to progress. And as you had just mentioned, the little things, right? You have, like you said, you have you have com- companies rightfully so saying like, wait, look at our boards. Look at our C- C-suite. Look at our senior management, right? We don't see anybody that don't look like us. Why is that? Wait, but let's, let's look at the, our lower employees. What is the percentage? Oh, wow. 70%, 60% of the company <laughs> are people and they don't have any representation and the top. And the funny thing is, I'm going to just give you a little insight to within our community. Like my wife was a C, uh, right below C-level suite employee in telecommunications. And there's always, we used to laugh because there's usually one. Like, you know what I mean? Like somewhere in the company, <laughs> there's usually usually one. And as crazy as that may be, it shouldn't be the case. Like big businesses should not have should not have black represent black owned businesses represented as a percentage of their business. And unfortunately, but fortunately, during this time, I think big business is hearing because in our in my community right now, Brad, people are asking, is this a black owned business? Let me look up, let me look up your structure. Because we understand. Finally, collectively, that resources is what makes this country move. That's it is. It. It's, yep. That's all. That, that's all. This company, this country is a is a company. It's a gigantic corporation, and they they acknowledge contribution as what do you have that contributes to the corporation? <laughs> Period. So you're either going to be within the corporate structure contributing or you need to be a big consumer contributing to the corporation. And they already know that, you know, the the community as a whole, they can look up that data and see, holy cow, they spend a lot, a lot of money. Yeah, maybe it would be smarter if collectively they saved more, invested more and did that. But hey, no, 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 no. 
keep spending because then that keeps our GDP where it needs to be. That keeps companies healthy and, and we stay status quo. So we're at this point now where it's like, okay, well now businesses are going to have to shift. No different than Corona. You had all these employees and brick and mortar and now you've realized something happened and what do you got to do? You got to adjust. You have to pivot. And the companies that will survive this are the ones that are going to pivot. So the, the companies in this moment in time, as this movement gets more ingrained in people like myself and you that can contribute to the situation and other people that are being mindful of whatever their privilege may be. And now when I say privilege, I have privileges too as well, Brad. You have privileges. But collectively, we're communicating and understanding like how do we better society as a whole, not just for ourselves only, but for society, our children, the future children and grandchildren that we don't have. That's the mission. And with these conversations happening right now, I feel as though like if this this these conversations become, you know, normalized because you're going to have your bigots. You're going to have your people that don't want change. That's a they're a minority. They're a minority in the equation of all of this. And like if you knew you go into a store right now and you said, just let's let's just say it lasts for a quarter, two quarters, three quarters where you are intentionally trying something, you know, black. And then of the products you try, yeah, I don't like this, but I like this. Now this becomes something that you purchase on a regular basis. But at least the liquidity for that quarter or two has boosted that business. And then they can now diversify and grow their business. Because organically, that's just how business happens. We need a good post from somebody who has influence. We need a, a celebrity or somebody to wear our garment if we're selling garments. You know, you need something as the catalyst to kind of get you out there. And then from there, you're going to have your learning curves and you're going to make your adjustments to keep yourself sustained within the ecosystem. All we're asking is just for the a, a real opportunity. And yes, playing basketball, that's not the same thing. LeBron James is not the same thing. LeBron is the product for someone else. He just happens to get paid a lot. But if LeBron just took to say, okay, you know what, LeBron? I make $300 million a year. If LeBron consciously said, I'm going to spend 30% of that money with minority businesses, meaning that if I'm investing financially, if I'm investing in new franchises, if I'm investing in and anything that I can invest my, my capital into, I'm going to give a percentage of that to minority-owned businesses, right? Not because I don't want to spend money with anybody else. It's because I, that's what I want to do. It, it would change the game. And if everyone thought, about, thought like that, is it going to make the community that I come from the dominant community? That's no, that's not the purpose of that. It's gonna make America a better place. So because the one thing everybody complains about is like, oh, well, you know, people of color create, you know, all this crime in Chicago and all this all these nonsense statements. I'm like, well, you know how you get rid of Chicago? If it bothers you so much, fix it. It's economic. It's not violence. The violence happens because if I if 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 I take a a piece of food sit in the middle of the table, but it's caged in, leave everybody for weeks on end without food, and then I lift the cage off, they're going to fight like wild animals to, to get that little piece of food. I don't care what ethnicity you are. That's the way it's going to happen.
Well, the, uh, case in point, look at the toilet toilet paper shortage, oh, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? So here's COVID, right? And you have this mad dash, and I'm sure what happens, someone's grabbing, you know, most stores, and who knows? I may be way off for anyone listening, but, you know, toilet paper takes a lot of shelf space, right? That's limited in stores, so they don't have a ton of supply. So someone sees someone walking in with four cases of toilet paper, oh, I better get some, and then before you know it, there's an outage, right? And, and with COVID, you saw that mad dash at the beginning with food supply lines and, you know, gasoline. And so th- there's truth there. And what you said, what's interesting, you know, you talked about just that um, more than anything, it's become, becoming socially aware, right? We all of us need to be more socially aware in our interactions, how we communicate, our network, expand that network, right? Look at our businesses, look at our board meetings. You know, Luann, who has a well-designed business, um, she had Corey Damon, who's um, a black designer, is a great episode. And she said, I need to be conscious that on these panels, is there a black representation on the panel from the design build industry, right? And architect industry. And and this communication continues. And, you know, this isn't about, you know, you have, um, you, you see the hashtag all lives matter. And this has never been about, every, everyone knows every life's important. You and I will agree all that all day long, but that's not what we're addressing, right? In a neighborhood, all houses are important, but if there's a house on fire, that house is important. That needs that fire needs to be put out. You know, it's been the black moment, but we need to be more socially aware. And as you mentioned, you know, and it's you know, minority businesses. How can we support them? How can we engage with them? How can we help them? Because as you mentioned, money's the driver, right? The more we invest in them, the more um, we 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 network with them and become acquainted with them, the more we can build each other and operate together and have. Joe and his family be successful and X, Y, and Z be successful and me be successful and it will lift everybody. Absolutely. It, it, it'll make a better ecosystem for everyone. For everyone. Because just imagine if in the back of your mind you say like, hey, I if I'm in Chicago, I don't want to make the wrong turn and end up in Southside. Right? That's a conscious thought because you, you're traveling to Chicago, whether it's business, family, you want to view, you want to see the city, you want to, you want to take in all the city has to offer. But before you go there, you already know there is a section you do not want to end up in because, you know, it's dangerous, right? It's no different than when it was New York City back in the day and you have 42nd Street. Oh, don't go to 42nd Street because it was nothing but prostitutes and this and that, you know, and now it's Disney. The reality of it is, if you just open your eyes and say, okay, well, why is that happening? That shouldn't be the case. And yes, when we when we happen to do okay for ourselves and we can get outside of that environment and put ourselves in a bubble, we quickly lose empathy for someone else's circumstance or situation, you know? We we wanna pass judgment or disparage that and well, why don't they work harder? Or why don't they, you know. They're, you know, they're just sucking off the system and they're just, you know, and, you know, I, I just want to touch on that for a second, Brad, like, like these, these tropes, like, you know what I mean? That, you know, all they want to do is, you know, be on welfare and have a flat screen TV and, you know, and have babies and da, da, da. Do you realize what you get when you're on social services? Like you, you get like $8,000. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is not going to change anyone's life. Cause that's for 12 months. Like, you know what I mean? And it, 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 it just me as being a, a person of color and being a business owner, I, when I hear those tropes, I just get disgusted because I'm just like, wait a second, you can tell me that you 
are like adamantly angry at someone who can get an $8,000 or $10,000 stipend for services from our government, but you have no problem with the federal government giving a, a, a very profitable business billions upon trillions of dollars in corporate welfare. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, it's like, it's like, it doesn't even make sense to me. It's like, wait a second, do you know we just wrote it, we just stroked the check for $6 trillion? Six trillion. And you like, well, would you get, what part of that six trillion did you receive? And do you know you're gonna pay for every single penny of it? Why aren't you screaming from the rooftop? So for me, I see that as like, it's it's in, in embedded racist things that you were taught that, you know, oh, black people this, you know, poor people that. And it's realizing, look at the system. It's the system that we're in as a whole. And it treats people with and people without very different. No, it's true. I mean, there, there's definitely a system there that we could speak about for days and then get into politics of bailouts and, you know, uh, you know, from Wall Street to now and other things, you know, it's it's very frustrating. But what's interesting is going back to that, you know, it's that communication, right? It's it's you know, I look at this, you know, I'm a father. I have five daughters. Right. And I talk to my wife about this all the time. And my mother had sent me this amazing article um, that just talked about the female perspective in life. And as a male, you know, I just don't think of that. It's just I'm a male. I have a different mindset. We know men and women are different. It's inherent. And that's how it is. Well, it, it's no different from ethnicities, right? You know, white, black, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. We grow up in different cultures and food and the way we communicate, you know, whether we're more boisterous or more quiet and more reserved, that's okay. You know, increase that circle, increase that that conversation. And, you know, there's a couple quotes here I wanted to read, Joe, which is pretty neat. So um, one of them, it said, you know, we are all implicated when we allow other people to be mistreated. An absence of compassion can corrupt the decency of a community, a state, a nation. Fear and anger can make us vindictive and abusive, unjust and fair, until we all suffer from the absence of mercy and we condemn ourselves as much as we victimize others. You know, that's from that movie I mentioned. And there's one more. Um, and this is from the lawyer uh, in the movie, that w- for those of you that have seen Just Mercy. He says, proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths, including this vital lesson. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. My work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, the character of our society, our commitment to the rule of law, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the powerful, the privileged, and the respected among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. And Joe, I mean, you said that in your own way, right? It's um, you referenced Chicago and Manhattan, you know, many years ago that, you know, it's really easy from this mindset. We need to bail out these companies, but let's look at the underlying, you know, our true character at the end of the day is how we're going to be treat those that are less fortunate, uh, maybe oppressed, you know, those that have been poor or incarcerated, you know, and maybe not have the same, you know, the same starting line that you or I had, Joe. I mean, even in your network, you had a good starting point. Not everyone has that. I did. So why are we not looking past that and helping our brothers and sisters to get them to the same starting point or same opportunity and help build each other? Well, I mean, I, 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 my, I feel as though it's personally baked into the system. Like the system has taught us, like, you know, you have to 
here's what you need to do to be successful. The, the, I, the, the definition of what success is, like, you know what I mean? It's you need to do this. You need to be able to own that. You did it on your own. You know, like all of these things that are not true. Because in reality, it's a village. Like you didn't get where you are. I didn't get where I am without help along the way. Whether these were help via lessons, help via a hand up, or or a, a, a step across a line that or a boundary that you weren't able to cross, a relationship, that's all help. These are all sources of help. So once we have that identified along with empathy, where your experience and my experience may not be the same, but we can find our commonalities and understand the direction we want to go is very similar. So when you started your company, like you said, you had growing pains. You, you know, I had the same thing. Many business owners have the same thing. Is everybody cut out to be a business owner? Absolutely not. However, the marketplace and the day-to-day hand-to-hand combat in the business will tell you if you're ready <laughs> to stick with it or do you want to go get a nine to five or, you know, a, a salary somewhere else and be a great number two, a number three, a great number four. There's nothing wrong with that. We just have to, within ourselves, say, okay, we can correlate. I can still be successful in a number two, a number four, a number eight, a number 50 position. And, and, and not that everyone, for you to be successful, you got to be number one. Natural competition, we're all trying to strive to be the best. We're trying to, but we should be striving to be the best us, not the best against Brad, Joe against Brad, Brad against, you know, someone else. Because then now we have a false competition. You and I are doing two different things, but we're doing in the same industry. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we got two different vehicles, two different opportunities. We might even have two different approaches. That's all okay. So there's a space for you, just like there's space for me. And if somebody wanted to join our party, there's space for them as well. We just got to open our, our arms and say, okay, listen, how can I be a better steward of the community as a whole? Not because Joe's black, not because Brad's a, a white man or if he's a Christian and Catholic or, or whatever religion you are in, because you feel as though like I feel more comfort in my kinfolk. You know what I mean? No, I'm doing it for humanity. Like for me, I want my kids to have a very diverse upbringing. Mm-hmm. I want them to understand that you you know when people say to me, oh, they don't see color. I go, well, that that's not true, because then how do you know I got blue jeans on and a green hat? Like you know what I mean? Like come on, stop. Like I know it's an uncomfortable thing, but it really shouldn't be uncomfortable. If you're coming from a good place, there's there's beauty in my in my my kids having you know, Asian friends and Indian friends and, and white friends and Jewish friends. And you know why? Because they, I want them to learn about their history, their culture, taste their foods, understand, hey, why do you use this food? You know, why does it taste like that? What is this product you use? Like, this is going to broaden your horizon to what the real world is, not the narrow world that you could throw yourself in, you know what I mean? But the real world. So if you have that skill set, you'll survive in any ecosystem, anywhere. You can get thrown in the city environment, you can get thrown in a rural environment, you can get thrown in a country you don't speak the language, 
Because the moment you get boots on the ground, 10 toes on the ground, you're going to understand and have empathy that, oh, now I'm the minority. So what is what is what are the ways things happen here? Oh, no one speaks English. Okay, so I need to quickly learn the, the Spanish or Indian or Korean words I need to know to be able to get food. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to use the bathroom, to say hello, like, you know, decency, to show them like, hey, I'm trying. Can you t- help me learn? Like, you know what I mean? But to do that, you got to humble yourself and understand it's not about you. Like when people say, oh, you know, speak English, like you're in America, speak English. I'm like, what? Like, that's insanity. Like, is, is there American language? Right. It just doesn't make sense. It's like, come on, speak English. Why? Because you don't know what they're saying? What if they don't know what you're saying? Should they tell you to speak? (laughs) 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 I don't know, man. It just, you know, those little things like that just just baffle me. But going back to where we initially started, and, and I feel as though the youth, the youth, the youth, the youth, the youth, the youth, because it's it's bigger than just, OK, the youth that were only in sports, you know, because if you if you grew up in a sports lifestyle, you know, you know what I mean? You may have some sort of issue before you started really getting deep into that sport. And then you realize, like, that's my brother. Yep. Like I, I go to battle with that person. I, I'm judging them now on their character. And then you you expose yourself to your own biases and be like, you know what? I had a preconceived notion about you and I should have never had it from the beginning. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a humbling thing. But now with like music and, and just culture, culture now is cross, you know, everyone's blending. You have interracial uh, relationships. Most people have it in their family. Like my brother, my sister-in-law is Slovakian. My, my brother-in-laws and sister-in-law are. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. So when I say I don't, I don't, I don't walk around saying I don't see color because I don't think that's a statement I have to make. I don't see color. What, what, what does that give you, like some sort of safe place to be? Like you know what I'm saying? Like oh, I don't see color. There's no such thing as racism. And I'm like, what would make you think that? Like, no, I love it. I, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Like you know what I'm saying? Like if would you want to be me? That's what that's the simple way I say. Would you want to be me? Would you want to switch switch with me for a few days? <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? Well, I, you know, you made so many points. I, I don't know where to start, Joe, but I mean, the reality is, I mean, some of the things you said, it's just, you know, we're humans, right? I, at, at some form, like we're all very similar in our own way. And the more we diversify, you know, with, with other religions, you know, whether it be Jewish or Catholic, you know, whether it be um, Slovakian, as you mentioned, you know, Hispanic or, you know, white or Asian, it doesn't matter. You know, the more we mix and understand there's humanity. This is what this is about. And the more we can understand that, hey, don't use the term I'm colorblind. Well, I really am colorblind, but that's like a physical thing. <laughs> but for anyone that knows me, no, I truly am. My wife gives me a hard time when I can't see pink and white or blue and, and purple and tell them apart. But that's but in relation to race, right, we need to, to make sure that we understand it is real. And the more we know it's real and prevent, uh, prevalent, well, let's talk about it. Let's figure out how to cross those bridges, right? And I like that you said mentor. It really triggered my mind. You know, we do a lot of mentorships and, you know, advice. And, you know, how can I do that more uh, in the ethnic communities, you know, for all races and, and be part of that? And that's something I'll do. Um, so, Joe, I, you know, I know you're time sensitive. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. You know, this is uh, a very important topic for everyone. I know that you are all about getting on and, 
and speaking about this. So again, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us today. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. And um, I'm, I think these conversations need to continue and they need to continue at nauseam because eventually we will, we will all stop feeling uncomfortable about yeah. it. And, and we'll get and there. Then, yeah, we will get there. And then once we're not feeling uncomfortable about it, things will just naturally start to change because then that means as we're not, we're becoming comfortable with the fact that we can have these discussions, then that means that people are doing things unconsciously to help the situation. So like how you just mentioned mentorship, I want everybody, if they get anything out of this conversation, to just understand whatever position you are in, you can do something. Whatever position you are in. If you're at the top, whether you're at the bottom, what, what you need to try to do is, if you, if you have, whether social media or in your, your personal space, talk to someone who doesn't look like you, come from what you, where you come from, and, and just get to know them. And like you, you said early on when we had our conversation about just go to dinner, have lunch, you know, just don't be judgmental based on their answer or response to whatever you guys are discussing. So key. So key. Yep. Because you got to understand their perspective may be different than you. It doesn't make it wrong or anyone right. It just you need to get understanding. So that's why I don't get involved with the whole politics thing of. Like you said earlier, conservative, Democrat, blah, 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 independent. It's like, it's like, stop. We're, we're yeah. humans. We're humans. Yep. Let's talk about. Okay, is are you, are you for the environment? Or are you not for the environment? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell me. Don't make a, a, a global warming. Uh, do you want your kids to breathe poisonous air? Yes or no? Like if you say, oh well, I don't mind. Okay. <laughs> Then you tell me where that neighborhood is, and I'll make sure I live somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're spot on, Joe. And you know what's funny? It's like, you know, your case in point. I mean, we've been friends for a few years through social media, met each other, you know, probably in person four or five times, maybe, you know, right. different events. And um, But it's easy to talk about. It's easy to talk about. We can do that. And that's what people need to understand. And, you know, Joe, thanks again, uh, you know, as I mentioned. And so what's, what's exciting? What's next on, you, you know, upcoming for you that you're super excited about? Um, I got a few things in the works. Like, you know, I'm always like drumming up new, new, uh, lanes, new revenue streams and that you, you do. <laughs> yes, sir. So, um, I got a couple of things with that going on, you know, with properties and things of that nature, you know, we got exciting projects that, uh, you know, that's still on the schedule. Thank God with COVID and everything, those things are still happening. And then I, I you know, I may be moving to another state, like, you know, still keeping the business. Arizona. Let's in go. <laughs> Arizona is one of the places on the list. Uh, you know, just you like got family coming. Don't be telling me Florida. Get here to Arizona. <laughs> but like, you know, I got Arizona, Florida, looking at like Texas, just because, you know, New Jersey is very expensive. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's just. And tell, yeah. tell us how many kids you have. I have five kids as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, you got to catch up. You need one I'm, more. <laughs> No, I'm done, man. <laughs> See, if I would have if I would have moved to Arizona earlier, I probably would I'd probably keep rolling, bro. <laughs> Too much taxes here in New Jersey. Dude, you're in the city, expensive taxes of five kids. I commend you, man. That's Ooh, that's tough. Man. It's it's painful. So yeah, that's one thing that like I'm sort of like when we're talking about this courage. Like I, you know, with the whole COVID thing, it told me like, you know what, I have enough things going on where I don't necessarily have to be here to still, you know run what I have here. And then if I, if I go to where I can, you know, make other things happen as well, like, you know what I mean? It's just sort of just broadening my horizon to, 
to different things and you know not isolating myself to like what works and 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 has worked for such a long time you know what i mean yeah absolutely well one one thing closing before you tell us where our listeners can find you is you know one point that you made that i did note i want to say is that you had mentioned anyone can do this right if joe and i can do this then anyone can right so absolutely reach, reach out to he and i you know we're willing to give advice mentorship so anyone listening if you have any questions or you know career wise we're happy to help and you know where can our listeners find you joe um, you can find me on Instagram at elite underscore concepts underscore USA. Uh, I'm, I, I'm very active on there. Shoot me a DM. Um, and you know, like Brad said, I'm, I'm the guy that'll talk to anybody. I'm not looking enough for nothing from nobody, you know, feel free, fire away the questions. If I can help, if I can answer, I'm there for you. Well, Joe, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you joining me. Nah, thanks, Brad. I appreciate it, brother. So big thanks to all of you for tuning in on the episode this week and really appreciate Joe coming on to be open with us and share some of his life experiences. And I've really loved networking with Joe when it comes to business. Joe's done a great job understanding how to set in line his suppliers, uh, manage all his purchasing. And although we spoke only a little bit about the business side of what Joe's doing, you know, some of the most important things to take away are just understanding how to bring value, right? Understanding that it takes time to build your company, to build that pipeline, and to be patient. And especially when it comes to kindness, you know, that's one thing that all of us can do a better job. And and I know one of my personal goals is to be more empathetic. It's a very tough thing um, for all of us to really put ourselves in other shoes. And so the more we can do that, the more we can understand and, and, and build each other up. And again, thank you all for your support this week. And we have... Eric Tendler coming on next week, who is the chief sales officer of Cambria. So he came on and, and Eric has done a great job building businesses, including Caesar Stone in his past. So has a lot of experience in regard to sales, operations, marketing. So stay tuned for next week.